Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. This episode of Other People is brought to you by Algonquin Books of Chapel Hill, publisher of the novel Exley by Brock Clark. Exley is a book about a little boy in search of his father, a father who may or may not have gone off to Iraq to fight in the war. The boy is also in search of Frederick Exley, the author of A Fan's Notes. In a starred review, Kirkus says another literary high-wire performance by a novelist who is establishing himself as a unique voice in contemporary fiction. That's Exley by Brock Clark. It's available now from Algonquin. It's a book. You can read it. Go and get it. Oh, my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Gee, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listing. Just one person at just one time. Right, right. All right, everybody. Here we go again. This is it. This is other people. My name is Brad Listy. Thank you very much for being here and tuning into the program. I really appreciate it. The guest today is Megan Boyle. Megan is the author of a new debut poetry collection called Selected Unpublished Blog Posts of a Mexican Panda Express Employee. Selected Unpublished Blog Posts of a Mexican Panda Express Employee. It is available from Moo Moo House. M-U-U-M-U-U House as of November 15th. This is a book of uh, poetry for which I was sent a galley a few weeks ago, and uh, I read it, and I've I've actually discussed this on a previous episode of this podcast. It struck me, and there's something about this book, the unguardedness of it, the unscriptedness of it, the rawness of the language, uh, the, the sort of nakedness of the emotional content in the book. And also uh, the humor. It's a funny book. It makes you sort of wince and laugh at the same time, which I tend to enjoy. And, you know, it's a book that makes you think about how the book was written. What is this thing? That's what I was thinking as I was reading it. And I kept turning the pages. So it just struck me. And I wanted to talk to Megan. And so I did. And as an outgrowth of that, I've sort of come to the conclusion that a book like this, which is truly built of unpublished blog posts, it is built from the remnants of a digital writing experience. It's written, it's built from the remnants of a blog, Megan's blog. And it really didn't get a lot of the, uh, standard literary treatment. It didn't get a lot of window dressing. It's just her thoughts 
put down on paper. And I, you know, I like to call it an accidental book. She didn't write it with the intention of it being a book. And therefore it's got this unguardedness to it. It's got this, uh, you know, this honesty that's really hard to get otherwise. And so you start to think about intention. She didn't sit down with the goal of making a book out of this. And yet she made a book out of it. And I, on the other hand, sit there and I have a goal and I'm trying to write a book and I'm telling myself, okay, this is my goal. I'm going to write a book. And then, you know, it becomes difficult. All of a sudden the process starts to slow down. And some of that is like, yeah, you're writing books is difficult work. It just is writing them well, especially so. But there's something about, it seems like the creative process gets sticky when all of a sudden you're aware of your intention. Uh, there's a freeness that seems to go away. And that's, that, that's sort of interesting to me. And I start to think about, you know, the whole issue of goals and, you know, gets from, it gets from, you know, goals in writing, which I think are, you know, they can be useful. I think that externalizing what you want to do, especially if you put it down in writing, like if you write down your goals, I've always been an advocate for that, you know, for myself anyway, because I think what it does is it makes me accountable. I can sit there and look at that piece of paper and see what I've written down and there's no hiding from it. Whereas if the goal only lives as a thought in your mind, then it's kind of like a vapor and it can come and go. It can blow away. It can disappear. It can disintegrate uh, like on your command and nobody else knows about it. It's just this thought. And if it doesn't happen, well, then nobody knew. But if you externalize it and you put it on a piece of paper, the psychological effect of that, it can be powerful. And likewise, if you tell good friends of yours, you know, close friends and family, what you're doing. If you want to make a really good mistake as a young writer, start telling all of your close friends and family that you're going to write a novel and you're going to publish it. Just do that. Do that when you're like 21. I made that mistake. I was like 21, fresh out of college, and I just started telling everybody that I was going to write a novel. And for the next eight years, I had to hear about it. Holidays, my uncle pulling me aside. How's the book coming? Eight years in a row. It gets a little bit onerous after a while. So... You know, I start there. I'm thinking about writing goals, writing down what you want to do, when you want to get it done, doing a, a, you know, writing down a daily word count. Those are good things. And then beyond that, I started to kind of think about my life and I'm like, do I have goals in life? Do you need them? I think you probably do need them. I mean, it can get a little bit tedious talking about because goals can, can, it can be kind of corny subject matter. People who are goal oriented, people who are telling you to set your goals, I kind of cringe at the thought of, uh, of even being in that realm. But at the same time, I think ultimately what we're talking about is, is intention. And that's pretty innocuous. People have intentions. They want something to eat. They make a plan. They make, they set a goal. I'm going to go up and uh, I'm going to get up and walk to the refrigerator. So, you know, goals in life, what are mine? I think, you know, be a good father, be a good husband, that usual stuff. Be nice to people. You know, don't be an asshole as much as possible. Uh, you know, but I, I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm an extremely driven goal oriented person, I just sort of like try to do what I like to do. And, uh, I don't know. I think I might need more goals. And then one of these, uh, I think it was in vanity fair. They have that Proust questionnaire at the back of vanity fair. You ever seen that? I'm flipping through a vanity fair magazine and I'm reading somebody's answers to the Proust questionnaire. And, you know, what was it? Like, what is your goal? Or what is your greatest wish? Something like that. And the guy said, to maintain my sense of humor at the hour of my death. And that, to me, I think is the, 
is the best goal possible. That's it. That's what I want to do. That's my mission in life. This is how I will know if I have succeeded as a human being is that if at the hour of my death, I can maintain my sense of humor, that will mean something. I think that that carries with it all the other goals that I could possibly have, or at least to some extent. Does that make any sense? Uh, I just like the idea of being sort of Oscar Wilde in that moment of at least having my bearings of not being paralyzed by fear of going into it, you know, with kind of like a resignation and a sense of humor and uh, a fearlessness. That's what it is. I don't want to be afraid. Not in that ultimate existential moment. I want to have courage, be a little stoic, crack a joke. Is that possible? And so uh, with that in mind, I went and I looked at some last words, famous last words by famous people. And I really like reading these. I, it's a little bit morbid. I don't want to sound too morbid, but I figure, you know, it's Halloween. So why not bring death into this a little bit, a little bit of the macabre, the macabre. And uh, so we got some uh, famous words from famous last people here or famous last words from famous people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so let's see. Frederick Chopin, his famous last words. The earth is suffocating. Swear to make them cut me open so that I won't be buried alive. So that doesn't have much humor in it, but I guess it does have some presence of mind. Uh, Bing Crosby said, that was a great game of golf, fellers. And you wonder if he said fellers. Did he really say fellers or did he say fellas? Did he say fellows? Uh, Thomas Jefferson, is it the fourth? He asked if it was the fourth. So this is a man who really had a sense of, of, of history. He knew July 4th, that's a great day to die for me. I go out that way. I'm Thomas Jefferson. You can imagine. It's a good, good PR, you know, but that's presence of mind. That's control. It's like he was waiting until the 4th. Uh, Malcolm X, let's cool it, brothers. He said, let's cool it, brothers. Um, let's see. James Thurber said, God bless, God damn. That's kind of nice. You would hope that that was meant with some humorous intent. Uh, Pancho Villa apparently said, don't let it end like this. Tell them I said something. So that's kind of funny. That's sort of tragically funny. I think he wanted to say something funny or something good, and he couldn't think of anything. He froze, but at least he knew it. Uh, Calvin Coolidge said, good morning, Robert. And so this, this seems to indicate that it was a sudden death, which, uh, that's sort of a bummer. Maybe it's better. You know, a lot of people want that. They just don't want, they want to just be like, boom, lights out. They don't want to have any, any, you know, awareness of it. But apparently that's what happened to Calvin Coolidge. He just said, good morning to Robert. And then that was it. Charles Darwin. I am not the least afraid to die. That's exactly what you would want Charles Darwin to say. Just like heading off into the, you know, evolutionary yonder, fearless. Norman Douglas said, get these fucking nuns away from me. Uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand said, it's nothing. It's nothing. Uh, Goethe said, more light. Ulysses S. Grant said, water. Heinrich Himmler said, I am Heinrich Himmler. That's kind of a narcissistic thing to say. That's what an evil person would say, right? I don't know. It's easy to any Nazi, no matter what they say. It's just like, that was evil. Um, Pablo Picasso, drink to me. Keith Moon, if you don't like it, you can just fuck off. 
you know, it goes on. Dylan Thomas, I just had 18 straight scotches. I think that's the record. After 39 years, this is all I've done. So, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's one of those things, goals. I think my goal in life, if anybody ever asks me, my goal in life is to get to the point where I can maintain my sense of humor at the hour of my death. But I don't want that to happen for a long time. And uh, I think that there's a... Yeah, I could get into this whole thing. I read this thing about the singularity this week where there's a chance we could all be robots within 30 years, but I'm not going to go there. It's just uh, it's too much to get into, and to be honest with you, it makes my brain hurt. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty, and Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So... Why don't we get on with the show? Happy Halloween to everybody. Megan Boyle is the guest. She has written a book called Selected Unpublished Blog Posts of a Mexican Panda Express Employee. Okay, so I think I think we're good. I think it's good. Awesome. Now it feels official. It feels official. So uh, where are you right now? Are you in New York? No, I'm in Baltimore at my dad's house. Oh, you are okay. What? Uh, and you're from Baltimore? I need. I, I know so little about you. I mean, I know. I feel like I know some stuff, but I want to. I want to get down to the bottom of it. You know, you're from the East Coast somewhere. Yes, I'm from like the Baltimore area. What's that like? like? Suburbs. Um, it's kind of like anywhere. I think it's just like like strip malls and like. Expanses of land and Applebee's. home developments and stuff. Yeah, yes, yeah, Chili's, Applebee's. And and you're married? Are you married to Tao Lin? Is that correct? Yes, you are. That's okay. correct. Okay, and so you're but you're living in Baltimore and he's in Brooklyn. Yes. Okay. Because um, like I remember, and you know, this is uh, this is this was on the internet of a while back. You know, there was like a uh, this got media coverage. The fact that you guys got married, correct? <laughs> yeah. There's been things. (laughs) So what happened? Um, Well, 
I guess he came, I don't know, we like knew each other like peripherally through the internet for a few years and then started hanging out like last summer, like at Jordan Castro's house for some reason we were there. And then we were, then he came to Baltimore in like the beginning of November, last November and for a reading and he stayed at my apartment and then we just kept hanging out and like and it got romantic shortly after and we kept hanging out and then he was going on a book tour and like I went along and then we came back and we're in New York and it was like the end of November and one of us was like let's go to Las Vegas because it's warm and then we went and then we, like, saw the chapel in our hotel, and one of us was like, let's get married. And then we were like, let's get married. <laughs> and you got married. And then we got married, yeah. Wow, that's sort of romantic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and so, okay, and so then uh, the the news sort of caught fire, like, via, like, social media, and then eventually got picked up by, what was it, the New York Daily News? Is that correct? I forget who covered it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, just the observer, I think. And, well, Brandon Gorel interviewed us. At, or, no, yeah. It was in January. We, like, talked with people in, like, a group chat. And Brandon Gorel covered it for Thought Catalog. And then other people did. And then, yeah. But we didn't, like, tell anybody until, like, January. Okay. Oh, so this was a secret. Okay, so I'm like I'm missing pieces of the story. You guys got married in November, and then it sort of went public in January. Yeah, we like told our parents and like like people we knew slowly and stuff. And your were your families cool with it? Were they just were they happy for you? Or were they pissed that they weren't there? Or was... <laughs> um, they were they were happy. They were supportive. My dad at first was like like spilled his drink or something, but then he was okay. <laughs> okay and so now you have uh this book of poetry it's your debut poetry collection coming out and i'm curious to know uh about it because it's it's it seems like a really unusually honest book like uh, almost unfiltered and i'm curious to know how it was written like are these really blog posts like are they, is the is this material did you really mine things that you were going to write online and then use it to kind of create these poems? Or did you write these poems with the entire concept in mind and uh, try to create that effect? I just, like, wrote them as, like, they're just, like, unpublished blog posts, and, like, I wrote them in that order, basically, that is in the book. And I, this summer and spring, I, like, edited them and compiled them, like, in the way they are now. So I like, I edited like some stuff, but I like wrote it as it went. I didn't like plan to make it a book at all. You didn't. Okay. Okay. And so what made you decide finally to make it a book? Um, well, I had like, I think I had a blog post that was like, I have a hundred or so like unpublished blog posts. What should I do or something? And then I think how emailed saying like, could I read them? And, I like sent them all to him and he said, this would be a cool book and I want to publish it. So, well, not those words exactly, but yeah. That's basically <laughs> So it. then it just kind of, yeah. 
So okay, so like, can you give me some authors that you uh, that you really like reading? Do you have any like favorites that uh, you're really into right now? Mm, I haven't actually read for like a while. I felt like actually kind of like like creatively like uninspired and like dead for a while. <laughs> How long has this been going on? Um, like a couple months, I guess, and. Huh? I don't really, so I, I can't, I mean, let me think. Hmm. I mean, what do you, I, I mean, when, like, when you are reading, are you reading fiction mostly, or is it a combination, or are you reading nonfiction, poetry? I like, I don't really read poetry that much anymore. I read like, yeah, like fiction, nonfiction, like essays and stuff. I feel like lately all I'm reading is like, like, the internet <laughs> I mean just like right now with this whole like kind of like stale period of my life I just want like I don't know I'm like so tired of myself <laughs> like this book is like all myself and my thoughts and stuff but I'm like ugh enough of me <laughs> right. I feel like it's been so much of me in my head for like so long and like Cow and I are like pretty isolated and like we don't really like we talk to pretty much just like each other and stuff and that's kind of new for me so this is like a new experience in itself of like being in a relationship of like almost total like solitude and like living in different areas so See, okay cause, okay this surprises me a little bit because you know of course i have like an internet perception of you guys uh, you know I, i've been aware of tau longer than i've been aware of you but um you know, Tao used to write for the Nervous Breakdown, or he has written for the Nervous Breakdown, and that was where I first got to know him. Like it was, he, you know, he sent me a galley of, I think it was E E E, and uh, oh, well, yeah, this was a while ago, a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, this was back when the Nervous Breakdown was like red, white, and blue, and you know, it was like an old version, and uh, <laughs> it was the first, it was the first iteration of it. He was one of the original writers for it, and. Well, uh, I always like you know just online and you know looking. I always, I just feel like there's this pack. I feel like there's this group of you guys, and I have these like, <laughs> visions of you guys like having these like hipster parties in Brooklyn and like laughing. And <laughs> that's not happening. Oh, I feel like it is happening with some some people. I think <laughs> no, no, but I mean like you, like Tao and you, like you guys don't have like a like a great group of friends in Brooklyn, and you're not like going out every night and having fun and doing stuff. No, we're we're kind of like keep to ourselves kind of people, I guess. Oh, I mean, I well, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm open to the idea of like anything in terms of like I've had like like busy social life before. Actually, he has too, but just I don't know in a relationship. I think well, just I'm, this relationship no. we've just been. Well, and I mean, I'm kind of the same way, though, because you have work and you have stuff that you've got to do on a day-to-day basis, and then you have, like, relationship, which requires a lot of your time and energy, and I spend, you know, now I have a kid, so I spend, if I'm being honest, like, I'd say 90% of my life in my apartment. <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, you know, I don't want to make it sound too terrible, because I'm, 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 you know, generally pretty happy, and, uh, you know, but just, like, that's just the way life goes. I work from here. My, my, I have a one-year-old, so you can only do so much. And then she goes down early, and then it's my wife and I. And 
uh, if you want to go out, you have to get a sitter and, you know, you know, I sort of get it, you know, and I think, I think a lot of people probably are like that. Like, even though you're living in, you know, like I'm living in Los Angeles and if you guys are in New York, you would think like there's all these people, it would be easy to sort of connect and do stuff. But, you know, yeah. it's like, it's kind of, uh, the opposite in some cases. Yeah. I, I think it is easy for like some people or like, I feel like I have a perception that there's like, like a definite like social scene of people doing stuff like writer people who meet up and stuff and we just kind of I don't know I like being just alone with him and yeah but I've also I don't know it would be okay to like do stuff too yeah, well, I mean, what do you guys, I mean, you guys just hang out at home, or do you go out, just the two of you, and, like, run around New York, or? Yeah, we, like, we write a lot, we, like, stay up all night in his room and, like, make juice a lot, and we'll go, like, to eat sometimes, or go to movies, and just all sounds, like, incredibly boring. <laughs> wait, wait, the, 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 one part, the one part, I mean, it sounds normal, I think that's what people do, but you guys just stay up and make juice, is that what you said? Oh, yeah, so yeah. We like making juice. You're juicing things? You're juicing, like, fresh produce? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We like like green juice. Green juice, okay. Um, yeah. So, like, we're, we're talking, like, spinach and kale and stuff like that? Yeah. I like, like, kale, celery, lemon the best, I think. Now, when you're like, okay, because I have, I, I have a juicer. I own a juicer. I got into it. You know how, like, those there's those infomercials about, like, the juice man and... Um, I, I don't own that, that particular juicing machine, but like I did get into it. Uh, I think that was like maybe what planted the seed and then you read about it, like the powers of fresh squeezed juices and vegetables and fruits and stuff. And the only, the only problem I have and like what I think got me off of it or, or at least like, you know, made me really inconsistent with it is that it's hard to juice. Like it's messy and it requires labor. It does sort of, you don't like it. I don't know. I just I feel like the juicer's always dirty, and then you've got to clean it, and you know maybe I'm lazy. I think I might be. Yeah, I I feel like I like the routine of it or something. Like yeah. I like doing like menial like like dishes stuff just because it's like a thing to like like short term task meditative thing. Like I'm just doing this. I'm doing this. Like. Yeah, I like. I, don't know. I like. No, I like to clean. Uh, I like to clean when I'm like supposed to be writing or supposed to be working. You know, it's like I, I like. Yeah. I think I use it as like a way to like you know make myself feel better somehow, or I feel like I'm being productive and you know. Yeah, I definitely do that. So I'm curious to know, like, like growing up, like, what kind of kid were you? Like, were you like a outgoing kid? Were you shy? Like, it, it sounds like your are your parents not together anymore? Are they together? Are they apart? Like. They're, like, strangely together. They're, like, separated, but, like, they see each other all the time and, like, talk to each other, like, on the phone a lot. Like, so they were together, like, all my, like, childhood and stuff. They separated when I was, like, 21 or 22 or something. But now, so they maintain separate residences, but, like, they're constantly in touch? Yeah, they're, like, always calling each other and stuff. Well, and or like going to each other's houses and well, that's, that's kind of like what I have. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that sounds but, yeah. it sounds like what you're doing. 
Yeah, yeah. Actually, it seems to work. Like, they like each other a lot more now, and they, like, like they fought and stuff. I mean, everybody fights, but they don't, like, maybe they're just older or calmer or something, but they seem, like, overall happier with each other. Hmm. I think because they're not, like, noticing those, like, little, like, like, annoyances that come up with, like, being in the same room with a person constantly. <laughs> yeah, they have some, you have some space. You can, like, retire to your own quarters and, like, have a timeout or whatever. Yeah, that so, seems, like, important. So, so like, tell me about, like, your childhood. Do you have any siblings? Is it just you? Like, or were you, you know, paint a picture. I have, <laughs> um, I have an older half-sister who's my mom's daughter with a different guy who's 20 years older than me. So she didn't, like, like, I didn't, like, grow up really with her, but, like, saw her holidays and some other times and, um, she's pretty cool. She's like a, likes the Grateful Dead a lot and follows them around. And she lives in Florida and like makes jewelry and, um, hmm. So wait, she's like a hippie? I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah. 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 She's a hippie. So were you, um, were you in touch with her at all? Like as a child, like she did, I mean, she was what? You said she was 20 years older than you? Yeah. She's, but she doesn't act like older. She acts like, like a teenager sometimes still. But she likes that. Like she's like, useful and like fun and. Um, we talk like, I don't know, just a few times a year, I guess. But I feel like, like, she's good. <laughs> So then what else? Like, what kind of kid were you? Like, you went to school, you were social, you were antisocial. Like, like what kind of what kind of youth were you? I was, like, really, really outgoing. Really, like, like crazy-seeming, probably, like, as, like, until I was about 10. Like, I really liked, like, like, <laughs> I'm shy now, like, obviously, but, like, that kind of made me into, or getting like made fun of for stuff that I liked, sort so, of. So like, yeah, okay, so you were really outgoing and sort of social until you were ten, and then at that point, like I guess maybe like the is that I guess the dawn of adolescence, you started to get more reserved. Yeah, I like. I also like got fat and stuff, and we changed schools, and like it's hard to make friends when you're like in sixth grade and stuff. Yeah, I moved. So, I moved, I moved to, from Wisconsin to Indiana when I was in sixth grade. That was not easy. Yeah, that's like the shittiest time of life ever. It seems like universally. It was. Yeah, I mean, it was like really. I remember like uh, it was. I felt like a total alien. I mean, you know, it's like a, it yeah, it's definitely formative. Yeah. So why did you move? Do you just move towns or? Um, no, we just, I, I don't know why we moved. We just kind of moved into a different house. Okay. And, then, and, and you... it was in the same like district kind of area, but just a different, they like built a new school, like close to me. So I went to that one. And so like you did, you basically didn't have any friends. I mean, you had none of your old friends and. Yeah. I had like one best friend, but she was at a different school and I saw her like, not that frequently and I had people like I like would sit around <laughs> in middle school but I was like I was kind of also still like would be strange like I 
took a like beanie baby to school with me every day and put it on my desk and <laughs> like <laughs> every Friday I like I would wear a purple shirt and like glitter on my eyes and like an alien necklace because I thought the aliens would like come get me if I did that <laughs> for real yeah I wore the same thing every Friday for so, and seventh you, grade <laughs> you wanted aliens to come get you yeah I thought there's one there's a constellation Orion's belt that's like three like it's like a line and I would always like look at it and I thought like there's one named Herman that I liked that was like gonna come get me you thought there was an alien and how old were you then you were like 11 or 12 hey I think I was like 11 probably okay so let me get yeah. this, let me get this straight you thought that there was an alien named Herman in Orion's belt and you had like a dialogue going <laughs> No, we didn't. There was no dialogue. I had like a necklace of an alien, and like I think I just named it Herman. And then I was like, Herman is also in this constellation because it's the coolest looking constellation because it's just like a straight line. And like, why is there just a straight line in the sky? So I guess that's put put it together in my head. Is that a yeah? Bird? Did I just hear a bird crow? Oh yeah. I'm outside in the backyard. Oh, you are? Okay. That's sort of nice. There's like some ambient nature sounds happening. <laughs> so, I'm actually just like playing a CD and like of ambient nature sounds. Really loud. <laughs> and you're holding your beanie baby. So what did this beanie, beanie, ba- what did this beanie baby look like? Oh, I had like a lot of them. I probably had like, that was, I was really into them for some reason. I like, I think I liked that they were like, I probably had like, 50 or 60 or something like then I would take a different one try to take a different one like every day and I think I just liked having like a small thing to look at and like just like cuddle maybe like like <laughs> no no kind of like like a like I'm a center point and then it's like the radius or something and it's so like that's my like radius hey that's a funny place. Yeah, no, it was like you were like it was like my center radio. It was the center of my <laughs> universe, and then it like just cut off talking about your uh, yeah. your beanie baby. That was sort of dramatic, you know. Um, yeah. So you were saying like you had this beanie baby, and it was just like it's like a security blanket type thing. I don't think like that, I, or maybe I don't know. I don't think I like consciously viewed it as like I need this, or I'll like feel insecure. I just liked having like something else interesting to look at like during the day and just be there like that was my thing i could like interact with okay so now when you were in school like you're in junior high was there the the internet was around but like not all the kids did the kids all have like smartphones because you're you know 10 years younger oh no there's none of that (laughs) no no i didn't have like a cell phone until like i think sophomore year of high school or something Okay, but and you did like you you could like text your friends and stuff in high school, and you could like have a Facebook account in high school, or no, no, you could no, no, that not quite. A- I that was like mm, sophomore year in college or something. Okay, because like, but, do, do you ever feel like? Because I I sometimes look back on my adolescence and I wonder, like I, I think I would have been totally different socially if I would have had access to social media and text messaging and the internet in high school. Yeah, I've had that thought. I've, like, I think I was really excited about the internet when it first came out. Like, 
when I was, I think I was 11 or 12 um, when we got it. And yeah, no, I was, I was like 11 and it was Thanksgiving and I like, we got AOL and I like stayed up all night, like just like chatting with people and stuff. And like, it seemed like fascinating. And, but, and then what? Um, then I like, I got really, really into it one summer, like after seventh grade, I had like a group of like online friends from a chat room called like mental hospital or something where you just basically like said like whatever phrase came out of your head, like, like you kind of like do like crazy actions to another person, like, like throws pudding on person and like use colons to like show your action and like. That seemed like really fun and interesting, and I felt like. So I guess I sort of started having like online friends then, but that didn't really change stuff about like, like real life friends. Well, okay, so yeah. Like, first of all, what was this chat room called? It was called Mental Hospital. Yeah, it was like an AOL like, like. Do you did you have AOL when you? Maybe back in. The or do day. you remember the chat rooms? Oh. I mean, a little bit. They yeah. had like. It was like a listing of like basic like age stuff like like chats for like twelve to eighteen year olds and like thirty five to forty five year olds and then like weirder names and that was like the most appealing because I don't know everything else I forget the other ones but so you would hang out in the mental hospital chat room and just like you would just basically be throwing like in, in a cyber fashion <laughs> throwing food at each other <laughs> yeah like that or like 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 invents a swimming pool and or like puts a dress on person becomes a tree or just like stuff like that. I wish I had like actually saved all this stuff because it actually seems like I feel like I'd really like to read that again. That yeah. would be like fun because I forget like the details of like what people said, but um, I would like go off and like you could have a private chat room with like people and for some reason these four people and I like gave each other food names like I was spam and there's jelly bean and mango and bagel yeah and we like we just all became friends and I got to know like who they were like we started out doing like the crazy stuff but then we like like became like real life or like Found out stuff about each other's real lives and stuff. Well, who and who were these people? Like you, like what? You were thirteen years old. Were these other kids or were these like adults? Like what, who were you hanging out with? They were other kids. They were um, Jelly Bean was a person named Jill who was fifteen, and she was somewhere in the south. I think she was the person I was like closest to. And the other ones were like all around our age. I think I was like twelve, and they were all like. I think we were like 11 to 15 probably and just living in different parts of the country and stuff. Do you still keep in touch with any of these people or is it all done? It's all done. Oh, it is. Okay. And so you're, you're online, you're, it's sort of like the beginning of the internet and you're an adolescent. Like, did you have, um, like friends in junior high and high school that you would like then be like texting with and chat with and stuff on online or no? Um, not as much then. I had like, it was really, it was this weird kind of relationship with, uh, like, one of the people from that, who was, like, he was sort of like a boyfriend, but we didn't, like, 
like we had like a relationship dynamic, like what I would identify as like a relationship dynamic now of like arguing and like having like interesting talks and a large ratio of both of that. And we never met, but we were like, he was the only person I talked to like into high school. And then I don't know what happened to him. We just like stopped talking, I think, because I got mad at him for something. What did he, what'd you get mad at him for? I think it, I used to just like do this thing where I'd be like BRB and then I like in the middle of a conversation and I'd like go away just because I didn't want to talk to him anymore. So I feel like it could have just been that, like maybe not for a reason. You just I know I, I, I felt mad at him for like using drugs at one point or like I lectured him about like, don't, he like did a lot of drugs it seemed like and I was like, I don't know. I felt like righteous and like don't do that at that age so what and how old were you then you were like 15 um probably like 14 or yeah 13 what kind of drugs was he doing he was doing like lsd and like smoking a lot of pot and stuff and he was like 15 and like like just I don't remember what he said, but he said something that, like, scared me about LSD and or something about it, like, staying in your spine. And I was like, if you ever do that again, I'm, like, not talking to you. And But then we kept talking after that. And then you were, like, BRB. Yeah. <laughs> and, then you, but, and then I wasn't. <laughs> and then you, then you weren't. Uh, so, okay, so we're through junior high. You, you were once were social, then you were shy. You had a beanie baby. You had an alien necklace. You wore a purple shirt every Friday with glitter on your eyes. You felt yes. that there might be an alien living in the center of Orion's belt. And uh, you had a 15-year-old boyfriend when you were 14, uh, oh, and then you also, you were in a chat room called Mental Hospital with uh, Jelly Bean. And so I'm yeah. curious, like, you know, in high school, um, like, how did you feel? Like, were you a depressed kid? Like, do you, have you suffered from depression or uh, or were you just shy and reserved? Or, you know, what was the root of all that? I feel like I was depressed, but um, I kind of feel like, I don't know, or maybe just, yeah, yeah, I felt bad. I felt really bad then. What am I saying? Of course, I felt really bad. <laughs> so, like, I mean, do you feel I like... felt like, or just getting into high school, I felt like, like, where do I fit? And I, like, wore, like, preppy clothes and stuff. And I had my one best friend, I, like, she ended up at the same high school as me. And we tried out for a play together for, like, some reason. We decided it would be fun and, like, and then I started doing plays and stuff and then became friends with all the drama people because, I don't know, I, there's something, I really like doing plays. I feel like it's like you like sports for some people or something. I started doing that, like getting more friends and feeling more like confident and getting short of outgoing. Well, not, I guess, more so than I ever had than since I was like really young. So, but wait, then, I don't know if I don't know if you heard me, but like, were you acting like in these plays? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've well, I've always yeah, I've always been interested. Yeah, since I was like eight, I did like acting. So yeah, that's been yeah. For some reason, I've that's felt okay. 
No, that's strange because, like, but you know, for some other kind of interaction. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. There's a lot of like stories about people who are into like the theater arts or whatever who are shy people, and then on the stage is where they can, you know, be kind of like expressive and, you know, free. Yeah. Okay, and then like, uh, so take me then out of high school, like you know, senior year. Uh, what, you know, what was that like? Did, were you were you at the prom and stuff, or were you sort of out of all that, and then you just graduated and took off? Or, um, no, I went. I like did all this stuff. Like, I I went to prom and like, I had a group of friends from like drama and stuff by then who were like pretty tight, like a bunch of girls, and they were really funny, and. Um, so I felt, like, pretty good by senior year, like, and I was, oh, yeah, I, like, started, like, a blog in junior year of, like, high school. What was it called? And it was called, oh, <laughs> don't fuck with me, I'm an ice skater, and with a lot of punctuation after, like, exclamation points, in all caps. Don't fuck with me, I'm an ice skater? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't like ice skate. It was just, I went to like a summer session for acting like in North Carolina, like one summer and this really like funny person just would always say like non sequitur phrases. And he just said that one day and I thought that's like great. <laughs> so yeah, that's why I called it that. But I would just write like stuff I saw it in it and like try to sound funny and, um, like, I forget if my friends knew about it or not. I think eventually they did. I, like, maintained that blog for, like, oh, probably until, like, like... Yesterday? I think, yeah. Yeah, it was yesterday. It was, oh, my God, wow. <laughs> I'm actually publishing that next. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you should. Where is that thing? Is it? Does it exist? <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, well, it's password protected now because it's, like, Maybe I should unveil it or something. It's like on the bus dot com, but maybe I'll take the password out so people could I look read, at it. And I'll I want to read that. I want to. I want to see what was going on. <laughs> it was like definitely like mm, very tonally different from like stuff I write now. Like like I sound very animated and stuff in it. As opposed to now, now you feel like what? Like you sound how? Um, I feel like I am like preoccupied with sounding like clear and like avoiding like any kind of like like generalizations or like cliches and stuff. But back then, I think I like did that a lot. Well, yeah. I mean, you're in a, you were just a kid. Yeah. <laughs> So you're in, theater, yeah, yeah. you're in like high school theater. You're acting. You're doing like musicals and stuff. You have a pretty good group of friends, and then you graduate. And then did you go to school afterwards? Yes. Where'd you go? Yeah. Um, I thought I wanted to be an actress, and I went to University of the Arts in Philadelphia to do that. And I went there for like a semester, and then really didn't like it, and felt like way isolated people, and kind of realized like. I mostly just like acting for this, like, feeling of, like, gratification and not actually for doing it. And actually, maybe I wasn't that good at it. <laughs> and, like, so, but I still actually tried after that. I went to community college and, like, kept doing that. 
for a semester. Where'd you go to? And then com- I auditioned. Where'd you, where'd you go to community college? Like back in Baltimore? Or? Yeah, I went to Howard Community College, which is like in Baltimore sort of area. But that was just first semester, and then I auditioned for like a bunch of other acting schools, and or no, just like two, I think. And I didn't get into DePaul, but I got into their regular college, and that's in Chicago. So I thought, what the hell, I want to keep going to college, and I want to live in a city. So I went there and started studying psychology and writing eventually. And then I moved back here, Okay. like three years later. What did you think of Chicago? Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it a lot. I, yeah. I like, yeah, it felt like big, and I like the L train. It felt like a ride, like a roller coaster ride thing. Have you been there? Oh, yeah, I guess you probably have. You're from the Midwest. Yeah, no. My, my sister lives in Chicago, too, so I've spent, you know, oh. a fair bit of time there. Oh, well. Do you like it? Yeah, no, it's a great city. I, I mean, I've, I always go in like the summer or the fall or, you know, it's a great town when the weather's nice, when everyone's sort of outside. Cause I think people from Chicago, yeah. people from Chicago like appreciate the good weather a lot and everybody kind of goes yeah. out and I love uh, how in these neighborhoods, there's just like a bunch of great bars and everyone just sort of hangs out. I mean, it's just, it's a different feel than Los Angeles. So um, yeah. and, and it's a really friendly town. I found like the people are really nice there. Yeah, yeah. It was. It seemed easy to make friends there. Yeah, I mean, especially for a big city. Like you know, like usually big cities, it can be a little bit colder or more difficult to meet people. But I just feel like in Chicago, for a city that you know that size, that the people you know, and and I think that's like kind of like a that's like its reputation, and it sort of lives up to it. I mean, I really genuinely felt that when I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, Chicago's pretty great. Now, do you, do, you, do, you like, uh, do you like New York? I mean, by comparison, do you like Brooklyn and that whole scene? I like it, yeah. I like the... It seems like it has a lot more stuff somehow than Chicago, or maybe just the stuff is... Or maybe more spread out or something, or I don't know. There's a lot of, like, organic restaurants and, like... Mm, I like that it seems really different everywhere. In New York, and sort of, I'm trying to think of a way to describe it in the way Chicago wasn't. Chicago seemed like all kind of like, like a happy kind of glaze a little bit, or like there was. I feel like there's two different tones to each city. I can't think of a way to describe it right now, but I like them for different reasons. Yeah. Well, so to shift gears a little bit, like I'm curious to know, because again, like I'm working for my own like limited uh, perspective that's, you know, filtered through the internet. But, you know, there seems to yeah. be like, there seems to be like a group of writers out there that, uh, you know, seem to be writing in the same vein. There's like a similar aesthetic. There's a similar way of like presenting online. It's the whole, like, yeah. the Helvetica font and the lowercase <laughs> and the, um, emotions. Yeah, and like the yeah the um, the uh, kind of like a, a deadpan sort of uh, delivery. And uh, I know that Tao kind of I think he gets some credit for being sort of the uh, at the front of that. And uh, I'm curious to know like how does that work? Like I mean you know you were saying that you guys pretty much keep to yourselves, but like 
you know, you do have like I feel like you know the Jordan Castros and the Brandon Gorells, like are you in the uh, Noah Cicero and you know there are like writers that have been published um, by Mumu House, which is Tao's yeah. imprint, and like is there discussion amongst you guys about this stuff? Like, do you arrive at some sort of agreement about like an aesthetic, or is it all just sort of like an organic like? imitation of one another or just how does it work i'm curious i think everybody probably has their own like perspectives on it i haven't like or maybe like imitations of each other kind of thing in a way that i feel like everything kind of imitates everything (laughs) but um we don't like i don't really interact with i've like I've met all those people, like, in person, like, for, like, at readings and stuff. And I like them all, like, a lot. And, but we don't really talk online. Um, but I think Cal talks to Brandon and stuff. Wow. I mean, and so other I, people talk to You have to realize how wrong I am. Like, you know, like, I've had this, like, I have this perception of, like, constant <laughs> parties in Brooklyn. Just constant gatherings. Oh, geez. Not happening. Oh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it's happened. I mean, I, I guess not with me. <laughs> no. Wow. But I met, like, I mean, I, I met people, like, all of those people, and they're nice. And if, I don't know, if we all, like, lived in the same place, and maybe we would start doing that. But I guess when I go to New York, it's just basically with the agenda to like see Tao and do stuff with him. So, but then there's just, but there's just not like any like discussions or like, there's never been, I mean, I guess there have been at least some discussions. I'm just, I'm just curious at how this, like the very like distinct aesthetic has formed and has been embraced by like a lot of people. Like, do you have any idea how that has all happened? Cause I mean, or do, or do you recognize uh, it that way or am I, am I misperceiving? Yeah. Well, I mean, I recognize it as like definitely a, like, style kind of thing or like similar themes and people using the same fonts and like writing about I don't know but I feel like I can only like say like from me like a very like I'm not sure like we haven't like all like gotten together and talked about it and said like let's start using quotes around this word instead and like <laughs> okay see this is what <laughs> I, this, no, is, like, this is my imagination <laughs> this is my imagination i'm picturing like uh some sort of conference room and there's like it's a smoke <laughs> filled room with like juice and vegan food and it's being decided but it's not that way it's just kind of happening no no maybe someday when we're all like 70 and have nothing else to do we'll do that we'll probably be doing that about like something else besides writing or will writing will turn into something else by that point. Well, but I mean, yeah. And it's, it's, it almost makes it more interesting. The fact that there hasn't been like some sort of concerted effort, like that almost makes it more, uh, fascinating to me. Oh yeah. That's cool. I, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I think I just started, I felt like attracted to this writing and I started doing it <laughs> so why though like okay so that's that i mean that would bring up an, an obvious question like what about it attracted you like what is the common thread that sort of binds people who are interested in this type of writing or who who write this way um well for me i like i didn't really like i wasn't that into like literature or anything and 
um, my like ex boyfriend actually gave me Bed by Tao and um, to borrow, and I read it, and I was like, oh my god, like somebody actually has thoughts that I've had before, or is able to articulate this feeling of kind of mm, displacement and also in the world and like like I'm definitely not articulate like talking about it <laughs> yeah no, but, it's, it's tough it's tough it's like it's like yeah I'm just curious like what like you know the, do you have a sense of the kind of person who is uh like a, a Tao reader or a, a fan of your work or I mean do you have like a sense of, of who they are can you can you break it down yeah they seem like socially anxious self-aware um people who like who don't really like metaphors or like um, why not? Why no metaphors? Like, what is it about? I mean, do you feel like they're just like, it's kind of like an artifice to that? I think it, it's sort of like, yeah, yeah. Or like, it can be alienating to assume that somebody else like knows what you mean by using a metaphor instead of like just directly saying what you think. So like, cause I think I've or yeah, alienation, I guess is the root of that. Or like, cliches too that's like why they're like i don't know okay well i mean unappealing because you assume everybody knows something and so it's like avoiding the individual it's like thinking oh everybody just does this instead of like so i guess that's part of what's made me like mm, depressed or unsatisfied with the world so okay well um I guess, like, uh, before I let you go, I wanna I wanna ask you about uh, MDMA films, because oh, this, yeah. this too is a, is interesting, and it's you know, uh, I guess like maybe like I'll start with an easier question, like who is BB Ziva? Oh, she's and, a fashion blogger. She's a fashion blogger. Is she a friend of yours? Um, we don't talk or anything. I like we I follow her on we follow each other and. We just met the one time when we filmed, um, oh no, twice, because she came for the opening. Um, of the movie. Yeah, I like, I like Baby. Baby's good. Okay, so you guys made a movie about her? Like, this is like you and, is it you and Tao co- collaborating on films? Yeah. Yeah, we decided, that was like, it kind of started when we, like, first started hanging out. Um, one time we, like, took MDMA and, like, left the camera on while we were asking each other, like, interview questions for some kind of... We were going to make a video for YouTube and left the camera on and, like, then we, like, joked, like, hey, this could be an experimental film, like, because it filmed, like, three hours or something of us just, like, sitting in our rooms and or my apartment and, like, doing nothing. And so we were... It was, like, a joke at first. But then we did like filmed it again and made MDMA the first movie, which is like about us just. Oh wait, you just broke on up MDMA. You, what were you doing? Oh. Asking each other questions. Yeah. Yeah. We were, but we left the camera on unintentionally and we like joked it could be an experimental film, but then we like started liking the idea and thought like, yeah, no, let's just film like, like it originated like just with like us on a drug, but then we thought, no, we could just like film our experiences with one like subject 
of anything. So then we thought, while we were in Las Vegas, BB was there, and we both knew her from the internet and liked her and thought she'd be fun to interact with and, like, film and stuff. So we contacted her and then just hung out with her for a night and... So what is it about her that because uh, I have I'm not super familiar like I'm I think I follow her on Twitter uh, but I you know oh. I'm not I'm not on I'm not on Twitter a ton so I'm curious to know yeah. like what about her is so appealing she's young right she's the teenager still or is she Yeah she's 18 okay. now I think Okay and just um, a good writer or funny like what's the what's the uh, the appeal She just seems to share similar sensibilities in terms of like like I guess like worldviews and stuff. I could like you she presents herself online as like very candid, um, like kind of similar to like the Moon Moon House stuff, but she does it in a different way I think. And she does it with like clothes and other things in addition to like writing. Well, yeah. So we knew her through um, I knew her through hipster runoffs. She was like a okay. model for them with Tao. So. Okay, so okay, hipster runoff. This, this is is it Carlos? How do you pronounce it? Carlos. Carlos. <laughs> Carlos. Who who is Carlos? Do you know Carlos? I don't know Carlos. <laughs> I don't know Carlos. No. Damn it! I thought, I, actually, I thought we were going to break the story here on this show and like oh, make news. I actually. <laughs> I had a big fight with Tao this summer because I thought he was Carl's, and I was like, 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 I just looked at his Gmail, and I was like, it seems like you're Carl's. I feel like this is you, and, like, I had all these, like, reasons I invented, like, conspiracy theory thing, and, like, it was really kind of ridiculous that this is a thing, but it was, <laughs> and then I finally, like, interrogated him and he's not carl's he's not you're i thought he was for a long time you're but a, I, absolutely certain not. you can you can absolutely verify that he's not carl's absolutely 100 percent. how do you verified. know how do you know did he does he know who carl's is yeah he like met him and had dinner with him and like they talk and i've seen like him on a like like video like so i've, I've seen what he looks like on like a dchat video thing oh you have okay. but i haven't yeah. So, okay. so he's different. He's sort of. I mean, you. you it would also be like. Was he in shadows? Was he pixelated, or was it like really just like clearly him? <laughs> it was, well, like a G chat screen. Okay. I mean, but he so was so small. It was definitely another person. It was. I. I'm sure it's not Tao. But he wasn't like wearing like a burqa or anything. You could see his face. You knew. I could see his face. It strangely though looked exactly like Tao. So I don't know. Oh, it was kind of weird. <laughs> That's... It's so mysterious. Yeah. Uh, so now, when you guys are making these movies, the, these you know for MDMA films, like did I read? Am I remembering correctly that you use like you use a laptop to film them? Yeah, we use our uh, MacBook. You, so you just you just have your MacBook on. You're recording using what is it? Final? Like what's the program that you use? I don't even know what. I'm it's like. iMovie. Okay, so iMovie. Yeah, of course. So you're using iMovie, and you just turn the camera on. It's your laptop camera. The microphone is sensitive, like sensitive enough to pick up the audio, and you just make a documentary that way. Yeah. See, and this to me, like, because I was, it, who did a write-up on this? Was it like independent film something? Was there like an article and an? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, filmmaker magazine. Yeah. Okay. But, but, 
I, I think that's I think that's actually brilliant because I'm a huge documentary fan, and it never occurred to me that like if you just turn the camera on on your laptop, assuming like you're comfortable with the production value that that will come of that, uh, it's like one of the mo- more inobtrusive ways to make a documentary because people are so used to having just like laptops sitting around. But if you bring a camera into the yeah. room, everybody kind of freezes up, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's part of the appeal, I think. It's just, or for me, just because you could forget about it. So, yeah, I mean, and like when you go when you go out into public spaces, you're just carrying the laptop? Like someone's got to be holding it like a camera, right? Um, Not really. We like, neither of us kind of like, treat it like a camera just like carrying a computer but that's seems like part of it but it's got to be open um, right i mean it's like it's not like you just like it's folded up and you're carrying it like it's got to be open and in, in front of sometimes you. sometimes we like folded it if there's like if it's not convenient for it to be open and like we would leave it on but like i don't know just like use it as if it was a computer instead of a camera right so and now- we'd like I mean, sometimes I think we'd like be conscious of it, and, like prop it on stuff. So, and these and, are these are like feature length. I mean, I've seen clips and stuff like that, but I haven't gotten a chance to watch like a full film. Like these are like ninety minute documentary films. Yeah, there's. I don't. Yeah, they're all around like that length. There's okay. another one called Mumblecore, which is about just our relationship. That's the last, and we have we haven't done the fourth one yet, but. There's tentatively a fourth one. <laughs> and you're comfortable. I mean, like, is the? I mean, is it a pretty? Is it really candid about your relationship, or is it like you know some sort of? Like, I mean, you're an actor, so I mean, do you feel like there's any like theatricality involved, or is it is it really just like an honest? This is us. This is. It's yeah. I I mean, theatricality is like like what I'd even like be doing now, which is like me monitoring myself speaking. So candid in that sense. And well, actually, no, because I would feel a lot more natural just and like it just became like this is the thing that I'm doing. There's just a computer here, like there would be anyway. But I guess being with another person or like being with Tao, the amount of like like personality acting you do with any other person is what I do for acting in it, I guess. Okay, and so what's the, I mean, like, what's the trying to think I mean, or person you, you you're just doing it for fun or do you feel like it's like a way to to generate interest in your writing you know by kind of like inviting people to have like a look at your lives you know do you know what i'm saying like or is it like how how do you decide to do it or like what's the purpose we were just doing it for fun like i think originally kind of just doing it to like like for our own like purposes to like go back and see like like for memories and stuff or like, like we had probably like over 200 hours of like footage of just like we'd get together. We don't really do it anymore. Cause, and, but like, yeah. So just be that. And then from that, it seemed like Mumblecore, like the story just evolved of like, since we started it, like the first night that, he came to Baltimore and like, we started hanging out like seriously and like, like starting to become romantic. So it was like kind of perfect for that one as like, and it ends with like us getting married. So over like a three week period where that was like mostly when we were filming ourselves and 
So where can people watch this? How do they watch the film? Um, they're like, you can buy them from the ndmafilms.org or I feel like I have, I'll send like review copies to anybody for free if they want, okay. <laughs> if they just email me or something. And like, are there like the, are, in these films, like, you know, one of them, you're, you guys are doing drugs together. Like, are you doing drugs together in a lot of them? Yeah, there's, we would do drugs. Like MDMA is just like us one, like two hours or something of us on MDMA. And, and how were you behaving? Um, were you guys pretty, I mean, you pretty together or were you like all seeing, you know, were you out kind of loopy and I think we seemed like more, uh, like, like normal when we're like on that than right now. Like if I were on MDMA right now, this would be a much more charismatic interview. I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe Um, maybe next time we'll do some drugs and. Yeah. Yeah. I also, yeah, I didn't, I haven't slept in a long time. You have? So that's also, no, I, 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 I don't, I think two days or something. Jesus. Why no, not? Are you, are you 30, 36 hours. Are you an insomniac or have you just been, what have you been doing? I ha- just haven't been able to sleep just like these past few days. I've been staying up late and like trying to make myself like work on writing and stuff like mechanically and just, it's not working, but I keep saying, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then I do it and then I don't like it. And then I get distracted and then I just, keep going and I think, no, don't go to sleep until you do something. And then I just haven't been satisfied with what I'm doing for me to go to sleep yet. <laughs> wow. Well, Megan, I also took like, yeah, go ahead. like, Oh, just like Adderall a couple nights ago. Oh, so that like helps stay up. No, yesterday. Well, so you're, are you, are you on, are, are you on Adderall right now? Not right now. I had like coffee. So you're, I mean, and, Adderall's just like basically like speed, right? Yeah, it's, I think, I don't know. It <laughs> helps me like concentrate. I feel like it like calms me down more or makes me more talkative. I probably should have taken it <laughs> before the interview. Well, I, I hope you get some sleep. I think like it's always good to get some rest, especially after 36 hours of being up. And uh, <laughs> it's been great to talk to you. I really like your book. I think that the... Uh, the poems in uh, selected unpublished blog posts of a Mexican Panda Express employee. I like saying that, but I know I, I find them moving. I find them moving and like sort of uh, unusually honest and uh, interesting. So I wish you all the best with it. Thank you, Brad. That's really nice. Thanks for having me on your show and stuff. Okay, guys, there you have it. That's the show. That is Megan Boyle, author of Selected Unpublished Blog Posts of a Mexican Panda Express employee. She is uh, an interesting person. She's had an interesting uh, life, it seems. She's doing stuff. She's staying up for 36 straight hours. I'm a little worried about her. I'll be honest. She sort of makes you feel that way. You get a little bit concerned. I hope she's gotten some sleep since we spoke. Uh, but go check out her book. You can you can reach her online. Her website is Tom Hanks Superfan. Dot blogspot.com. You heard me right. Tom Hanks, superfan.blogspot.com. She also writes for Thought Catalog, and you can check out Moomoo House at moomoohouse.com. M-U-U-M-U-U-house.com. Uh, before I go, I want to uh, 
continue this this train of thought that I had going in the front end of the show. The whole thing about famous last words, wanting to have the presence of mind at the moment, at the hour, at the minute, at the second of death, to say something good, to have some some wit, to have your wits about you in that huge existential skullfuck known as death. What would you do? What will you say? Will you just be fearful? Are you really just going to chicken out? Are you really going to go into it just trembling after all of this, knowing that everything in the world does this, every living thing does this, and you're really going to freak out about it? You're really going to be that spooked? Really? I hope not. I don't want to be. Uh, but I thought I would read you some more famous last words. I dug these up. Am I, am I, a, you know, am I a, a morbid son of a bitch for finding this stuff interesting? So, P.T. Barnum. Here's what he said when he was dying. How were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? Uh, Humphrey Bogart. I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. I was thinking about doing a Humphrey Bogart impression, but I decided against it. In the moment. Right then. Napoleon Bonaparte. Josephine. In love till the end. Obsessed. Victor Hugo. I see black light. Jesus. Like, are we talking like black? I mean... He wasn't thinking, I mean, blacklight didn't exist in his day, did it? We're not like the blacklight that you see in like a dance club. We're talking like some sort of like cosmic blacklight. Uh, Winston Churchill, I'm bored with it all. Thomas Edison, it is very beautiful over there. Emily Dickinson, I must go in. The fog is rising. James Joyce, does nobody understand? My God. Uh, Timothy Leary, why not? Yeah. Boris Pasternak, Goodbye. Why am I hemorrhaging? That's sort of touching. Uh, Richard Feynman. I'd hate to die twice. It's so boring. Errol Flynn. I've had a hell of a lot of fun and I've enjoyed every minute of it. It's kind of a nice, cheerful way to go. And uh, Beethoven said, friends applaud. The comedy is finished. So I like that one too. That's kind of a nice way to do it. I don't know. if The whole question really boils down to do you prepare something in advance or do you just hope for the right improv skills? You know, that's a big bet to make on your wits. I think it's a little bit, I think it's, I think it's cheating. If you come up with a line ahead of time, I think it's cheating. I think you've got to be able to perform this, this act spontaneously in the moment in order to get it done and get it done well. So I'm not going to try to end this show by telling you what I'm going to say. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to end the show by thanking you for being here and hoping that you will return next time.